0: Alright, I think we may begin. If you have not uh, gotten a note sheet, we have them in the back. I think most of you might have them. So just make sure you have the note sheet in the back, and then I will uh, begin with prayer. Lord, we love you and we thank you um, for all you've done for us. Sir. We thank you for your blessings. We thank you for Your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, and the salvation we have through Him. Lord, uh, we thank You for Your Spirit, that we're able to discern um, things about You through Your Word, Lord, by the power of Your Spirit. And so we thank You for that gift. Lord, I pray for this time that we uh, just remain diligent to Your Word, uh, and that we will be able to honor You, Lord, with our discussion. I pray these things in Your name. Amen. Alright, so week two uh, of our apologetics uh, study. Uh, what we will be doing throughout this whole year, um, at the last page of each note sheet, before the article that's normally stapled to the back of it, you will see the preparation for next week, reflection of the week we just did. Uh, so the Preparation for next week, which was for last week, uh, or from last week, for this week, I said in a really confusing way, uh, was to watch um, a video by Pastor uh, John Piper of looking through a passage, and he found different uh, characteristics or qualities or components, parts, I think he called it, of a worldview, of a Christian worldview. Um, and so he looked at First Peter 4, 12 through 19, and uh, he built a list. If you don't know what I'm talking about, and if you do not get a chance to watch that, that's fine. I'm just going to reference it really quick, uh, since that will lead us into our discussion today uh, about worldviews. Um, he made a list. Uh, he went from bottom to top. Bottom, he looked at a characteristic or part of a worldview is knowledge, to be able to know things, uh, and he labeled that theology. Uh, we need to know things about who God is in order to live a life that he has called us to, and then he talked about faith, hope, joy, love, and ultimately it was all pointing, pointing to the glory of God. Um, so that's what last week's uh, preparation was for, for this week, uh, to bring us into worldviews Um, has anyone in here spent a decent amount of time uh, discussing, studying worldviews, maybe beyond just the Christian worldview? Does anyone think through worldviews when you interact with others from different faiths, or is it just kind of um, something we we um, don't think of often. has anyone studied worldviews or um, thought through worldviews before if anyone could define a worldview, what would you guys think a worldview is
1: like the uh background assumptions and framework through
0: which you view the world background. background assumptions and framework and how you view the world i think that's really good um, so it's your set of beliefs in order that you have to help you frame your thoughts on certain issues right um, well you can see the first part of your note sheet uh, the building blocks of a world view And if you have been part of the Growth Institute last year as well, I went through these terms that are on your note sheet. So this might sound familiar. Uh, The building blocks of worldview, I like to describe it in three different categories. And these are the three categories I like to describe it. Uh, We have metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. So these are uh, bigger words than uh, we might be used to. But I think they're very helpful to just begin uh, talking about worldview, to give us the building blocks of what worldview is. Uh, so has anyone, does anyone know what metaphysics is? I want to take a guess. So metaphysics is the study of reality that sounds complicated, so you could simply say, metaphysics answers the question, what is real? So when you want to know what is real, what is really real, what, is, um, what we would say as Christians, as God, that would be a metaphysical uh, category. What is real? It answers that question. And then epistemology. Has anyone heard of that one?
2: We know it. How do we know it? Exactly.
0: So it's the study of knowledge. It answers the question how do we know? How do we know the things that we know? How do we know what is really real? So me- metaphysics tells us what is really real. Epistemology is how do you know that? And then ethics is the easiest category. What is e- ethics? All right.
2: Beliefs that define right and wrong. So it
0: has right and wrong with it, right? So you can think of morality with ethics. Um, It's basically how you live, right? How do you know what is right and wrong? So your ethics then, building on top of your metaphysics and epistemology, um, tells us how to live. So you could say ethics answers the question, um, how do you live based on what you know to be real? How do you live? So with these three categories, you have to answer what is really real, how do you know what is really real, and then based on these things, how do you live? And these are the categories I think are helpful for us um, to build or to help us frame uh, worldviews. Everyone has questions or answers to these types of questions. Uh, And people have different answers to these types of questions, right? Uh, It's important for us to understand that they need to be built off of each other. Normally, you have metaphysics at the bottom. And then you start, then you go to your epistemology, and then allow those then to form your ethics, uh, it becomes problematic if you try to start with your ethics first because you don't have anything to base it off of. Right? So I think we can all understand that. Uh, why do you do the things you do? Well, we do the things we do because there is this reality that there is God and he has authority. Well, how do you know that there is this God and he has authority? Well, we know because he reveals himself to us uh, two semesters ago, we talked about the doctrine of revelation, how God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself to us uh, specially, or special revelation, which we know as scripture. And then he reveals himself to us as well, naturally, through natural revelation. And that's through creation and just um, knowledge. He has given us minds that we could think through uh, philosophically. Um, and so that's kind of where we're going with this tonight. So it is a little bit more technical than last week. Last week was a nice overview um, of obviously God's mission and apologetics, defining it. And it's going to get a little bit more technical. At the back end, also, we're going to be talking about methods to apologetics. Uh, how do we defend our faith? Remember, that's what apologetics is knowing how to be able to defend our faith. And then how do you go about doing that? So we're going to talk about the methods as well. All right. Um, so I think we got those categories pretty well. Does anyone have any questions on those? Metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. I know it's starting very philosophical tonight. We will get to biblical passages soon. No questions on those three things? All right, question then. Why do you think it is important to understand these categories in order to do apologetics? I might reword this question now um, simply by asking, why do you think it is helpful to understand these categories in order to do apologetics? The reason why I would reword it to helpful instead of important, because I don't want to imply that you need to have a well-defined understanding of what these categories are in order to do apologetics. You don't. But it's helpful to understand things in these categories uh, to do apologetics. So remember, we talked about last week, apologetics is defending your faith, right? Giving a reason for the things we believe in as Christians. So, why do you think it would be helpful or important to understand these three categories to do apologetics?
1: I think it's helpful to understand these three categories just broadly. Mm-hmm. And when you're interacting with people, well, you might share some in each of these categories with other people, no one's like perfectly aligned, and many, you them in ethics and some other things, especially as you do with people from other faiths, other countries, um, different political beliefs, even. Um, so understanding where that person is coming from can help you shape your argument in a way that's compelling to them personally. Yeah, that's
0: good. That's good. So, I mean, ultimately we need to have some type of foundation to the things that we're saying to our argument, when we interact with others, and the foundation should be um, metaphysical and, and focused in on epistemology. You need to have a good reason. For the things that you're saying, uh, study of knowledge, and to know why you're saying those things. Um, anyone else?
2: Well, if someone comes at you with a metaphysical question, you could put it in a bin and ask an answer with a response in that particular uh, category, or, or it's a way to organize thought. Yeah. So you're not. So you understand yes. kind of what they're asking, so you can come back or show you there's an answer that answers that question. It's not a apples and oranges kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's incredibly
0: important to help us just organize our thought and knowing where to put categories, uh, make these categories. Um, so
1: right. the, the, the no type sense. of evidence would mm-hmm. be compelling to them. If someone has a different metaphysical world view than you, coming at them with a metaph- metaphysical argument would not be would not be the right avenue
0: to to engage dialogue. It's true. Yeah, Yeah, so people have different starting places. Um, And it it makes this um, really interesting because uh, I mean, ideally or what you would think is that there should be one type of structure for different uh, belief systems. Like, there should be one structure for the Christian worldview, like with Metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics, and that is the Christian worldview. In uh, a perfect world, um, there should be one structure of maybe an atheistic worldview or an agnostic worldview. But what? But that's not true. What is interesting about postmodernism, if you when put it in that category, is um, everyone has ultimately created their own system. Everyone has ultimately answered. What is really real? How do I know what is really real? How am I going to live? Differently. Um, and so it has make it, made it a lot more difficult uh, to have these conversations with people. Um, so some of the things I wrote in answer to this question, why is it helpful? Um, so, we, so that we can build a reasonable case as to why we do the things we do as Christians. Uh, why do we do the things we do as Christians? Um, we would say, well, because God commands us to. That right there, you have all the three of these categories in that, right? Why do we um, love others? That's an ethic because God, who is the reality, is has authority, and he tells us to do it, and that's how we know, right? So even some, something as simple as because God commands us to do it, you could find all three of those Categories behind it, um, and so when you're working with a non-believer, you get, simply ask, well why do you do the things you do and you could see if they have a good reason for it It has to appeal to ultimate um, authority, which would fall under the metaphysical category. how do you know that to be true and then um, then it affects the way you you, you act. Um, so answering questions, why do we love as believers? Right? Why do we defend our faith? Um, why do we glorify God? Why do we do missions? All of these uh, could be answered or ought to be answered with uh, these three things in mind. I know this is getting kind of technical, but hopefully we'll bring it back a little bit and make it a little bit more practical. Um, All right, so I want to give you those categories. Now, in the next section, the Christian worldview. Um, I made the pyramid there for you, and you could see I labeled it meta for metaphysics, um, epistemology and ethics. And what I want us to do, I want us to do an exercise. I have several passages um, listed underneath. I tried to keep it as uh, small as possible for the amount of passages, so we're not going to be here all night uh, working through this. But I want us to read through these passages in Scripture um, as just a sample and try to pull out the things that ought to be in each category. So uh, what is really real? And we can look to Scripture to answer that question. Then we, we could put that into the metaphysics box. How do we know what is really real? We'll look to scripture uh, and put the answers to that in the epistemology box. Then how do we live based on those things? Our ethics, we'll put that in the ethics box. And, I mean, there's so many passages of scripture that we could go to uh, to do this exercise, but obviously we have limited time, so... There's a note sheet over here you guys could grab that's all right so does everyone understand what we're going to do all right so I will read through these passages starting with the Genesis 1 one um, I try to italicize things uh, throughout it to draw our attention to it and to help us figure out where we might put these um, in in the categories here that we have, the metaphysics, epistemology, and ethics. So we're in the Christian worldview part, starting to fill in the the pyramid-looking thing. All right, so Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, So with that, God created, I have italicized, Where do you think we could put this information into this box? Is this communicating an ethical thing, telling us how we are to live our lives? What was that? Metaphysics. Metaphysics. What is real, real, right? What is really real? God and He created, right? Uh, So what is really real? He created this world. This is a world that belongs to God.
1: this I mean all of that like they're all part of reality. They're, they're all, all part this. of
0: reality. Exactly. So this would be a metaphysical thing. Um, all right, Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. What do you guys think for this? Epistemology. Epistemology. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do we know the things of God? How how do we know? Um, Things of God's glory, um, he declares them. The heavens declare them. And the sky proclaims his handiwork. This is a good passage to go to to show the importance of um, um, natural revelation that we've talked about, right? The nature uh, declares the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. All right, Isaiah forty-seven or 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient uh, times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Obviously, this is God talking. Where do you think you would put this? Sometimes these verses don't fit perfectly in one category either. They might be more than one.
2: more like metaphysics.
0: All right. So you have a declaring part. So God is declaring. That's talking again about his epistemology. But then what is he declaring? Uh, his counsel, right? Um, I will accomplish all of my purposes. He's declaring his purposes and that's metaphysical. Um, so it would definitely belong in both, right? So he's declaring his purposes um, and he's letting us know what they are, and that's metaphysical. All right. Uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says, And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ethics, right? That's an easy one. Um, so based on the things that we've already established as reality, God's purposes, his counsel, his eternal counsel, right? And the fact that he declares them, we know we are to listen to him. And what does he say? We are to love. So then that would be in our, our ethics. All right, 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Manifests. that's at least where I would put it. Right? It's just declaring reality. Who is God? There is one God. Right? We're not, we don't, worship many gods. We worship one God. Um, And this one God, all things come from him, right? And all things are for him. We exist for him. Oops. And uh, then it talks about Christ, right? And um, we exist through Christ. Um, And this should remind you, if you were here two semesters ago when we talked about the Trinity and how God works and the different roles of the Father, Son, and Spirit, right? We, God, the Father, things come from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. And so we always see that Trinitarian uh, framework. Uh, creation comes from the Father, through the Son, and accomplished or applied by the Spirit. Uh, salvation, the same, the same way. All right, let's continue then. Romans 1, 19 through 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them, and I wanted to let you know who them is, those who are ungodly, because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. Epistemology. Epistemology, right? We see God making Himself known through His revelation uh, and Metaphysics as well, what is he making known? I mean, himself, uh, which is his eternal attributes, or his invisible attributes, namely, eternal power and divine nature. Um, So, eternal power and divine nature, that is what is really real, which is declared to us, shown to us through creation, and that's what influences the way we live right, with our ethics. Um, one more, and then we'll try to wrap it. Because I know this is a little bit more difficult. But let's look at the Hebrews eleven three passage. It says, "By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen, uh, or so that what is seen was not made out, or made out made of things." that are invisible, I believe, of a typo there. So what would you guys say this this would go under? What category? I'm guessing epistemology. Epistemology. And the reason why I wanted to put this in here uh, is to show we know things not just based on reason, but through faith, right? By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God. Um, so, there's, through faith, we know things. We do epistemology as well through, through faith. Uh, all right. That one could also be right?
2: Because the world's created by God.
0: Exactly. So, yeah, like I said, we could fit several of these in a couple different categories. Um, so hopefully as we're working through that, you put some of these things in the different categories um, just so you could kind of see how we could uh, develop the Christian or a Christian worldview uh, by just looking at a set of passages and seeing what it says about what reality is, how we know those things. Ultimately, we know those things from Scripture, right? Uh, scripture tells us we can know these things as well through creation. Uh, by reason, and by faith. Uh, but ultimately, this leads to showing us how we ought to live as Christians, um, with it, which is our, our ethics. So if somebody's taking notes, since I'm arriving late, can you just take a picture of your front page and text it to me? I'll do it the easy way. Yeah. I was going to say, for those coming in later, I, we set it all up, and then if you came in later, it would be difficult for sure knowing what we're talking about coming through, so. <laughs>
1: this is the cheat sheet. You were the good student. You showed up to class on time.
2: You took notes, and now I want to cheat off your notes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Beth. <Matt.
0: laughs> Does anyone have any questions, besides this back corner maybe, <laughs> um, of kind of like what we did, why we did uh what we did? uh, Or is this, are you guys seeing where we're going? Just identifying the categories that we already talked about, right? And seeing that Scripture talks about it. Scripture tells us what reality is. Scripture tells us how we can know these things. Ultimately, God is the one declaring it. God is the one showing it to us. And then that influences then how we live. And Scripture tells us then how we are to live. Right. Yes. I
2: think, not a question about it, but maybe just an overlay on top of it. Um, when we think about categories of metaphysics and epistemology and ethics, and maybe even we could add more stuff to that, Yeah. Um, one of the ways that I think is helpful to think about worldview is just those with a different understanding of what's real, and how do we know it, and what should we do. Um, would have different answers to, like, big worldview questions. Like, everyone has to answer, where did we come from? What's wrong with the world? Where are we going? Is there any hope or fix to the problem? Yeah. Is there a direction that this is all heading? Something like that. So, um, if that feel, if like, if branches of philosophy feel sticky, one way that I think can be helpful to look at worldview is just through... Uh, three, four, five, seven of those big questions. I'm sure somebody has a great book on it. I can't name one, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, like, you know, the secular humanist would say this to answer those four questions. The, you know, um, and, and you can go all kinds of little subgenres underneath that. You know, the pantheist would say this about it, and whatever else.
0: No, oh, I mean that's really good, right? Um. Recognizing that the way we, these lo- we answer these large questions about life, um, the purpose of life, uh, ultimately come from the categories that we're recognizing. Uh, but as I said earlier, these categories could only be helpful. They're not necessarily primary. Um, helpful to see why people would answer those questions differently from the different worldviews. So, but yeah, that's really good. Any other comments or questions? If anyone saw the the Piper video, uh, which was the preparation for this week, uh, he showed that all of this was pointing is pointing towards something. Uh, there's an ultimate goal in mind as we answer these questions. and the way, what he presented was ultimately the, for the glory of God, right to be with God. Um, and that helps us answer these questions. So I want us to do a little bit of an exercise here, a real view exercise, based on what we just did, build a case as to why, and the case could be a simple sentence. It's not like... Um, us writing out a whole lot. Uh, build a case as to why one ought to behave ethically a certain way based on a Christian worldview or an atheistic worldview. We'll just take those two uh, for for right now. So, is it wrong to steal? And based on the Christian worldview, why is it wrong to steal or why is it not wrong to steal? What do you guys th- what would we say for that? This one is an easy one.
2: Yes. it's wrong. Yes. 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 Why?
0: Because yes, of the, the commandment, commandment, right?
1: Because God exists, which is your metaphysical belief. He told us not to in the Bible. Which is it's, God, it's as simple as that, right? For us as
0: Christians, we are not to steal because God commanded us not to. God, who has ultimate authority, the reality, the true reality overall, tells us, and that's how we know, right? Um, so, having these categories helps us answer simple questions on practical matters. Practical is—is is this right or wrong? Um, second one—is it? Or we could talk about the atheist pers- position. I mean, this is more um, more difficult, maybe to to do. What would you guys say for the atheist position? Trying to think of categories. These categories in their framework
1: like catch them. Okay, because so the law it, says not to. And if you don't, if you steal, you'll go to jail. Okay, <laughs> exactly. exactly.
2: Both aren't going to steal, but for different reasons.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the law. If we talk about society. Um, so
2: when something makes it look like they won't go to jail.
0: Yeah. But we could see then it also becomes relative. In the in the sense based on what society deems as right and wrong. Um, second question: Is it important to treat people with dignity and respect?
1: Yes. <laughs> Why? Well, for one thing, the Bible tells us to. Jesus tells us to.
0: Exactly. Created all of commandment
1: God created man. Exactly. God created man, right? We could talk about him making us in
0: his image. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of things we could talk about. And it's very simple and straightforward um, for us as believers. Um, This next question, I wanted to maybe create a little bit more discussion. I want us to see maybe some of the differences uh, with this. So ethically, should we prioritize earth slash nature or family slash people while recognizing the value of both?
2: because it's yeah. the only
0: thing eternal. yeah as Christians um, people because yeah they're eternal right and we're, again and distinct exactly we are the ones created in, in his image um, so humanity is more valuable than simply nature itself even though nature of, nature. of course it's mm-hmm. not in our hands What about on the other side of things with an atheistic worldview, if you were to imagine?
1: Which is the earth is enduring and people are trained like they're only here for a little while, so you should prioritize the earth because it's enduring.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, and you could see why someone with an atheistic worldview could be consistent with that based on what they might put in their metaphysics and epistemology, which would then ultimately be driving their ethics. Um, So, while recognizing both obviously are valuable. So, uh, I wanted to show maybe a distinction there. And we could do this exercise with ultimately anything. But that's just a very brief overview of Worldview. We'll be talking about it throughout this entire semester. Uh, But I wanted to just show at least those categories and the way to think about it so then we know how to about important um, questions of eternal significance. Any comments or questions? Now we're going to try to start changing gears a little bit. I want to leave room for any questions before we move on. Do we assume that all these people are pushing uh, uh, man-made climate change or atheism? Mm Are we assuming, to, I'm sorry? that all these people who are pushing man-made climate change at
2: us, are they, atheists? Uh Well, it's hard to say,
0: uh, um, just a general um, label on people who might be saying one thing. But you could, there's a, there's a lot of factors that could be behind that. So, we'd have to talk to the individual maybe to hear their reason why they might want to talk about climate change more than something else. Um, But that could fall under the discussion we just had, right? Is that more important than talking about, um, say, issues with abortion, right? Should we, as Christians, would recognize the value of people more than uh, issues of climate change? But someone who doesn't have God in their worldview might not see things that way. Of all the climate changes that we've had on this earth over hundreds of years, whatever thousands,
2: and I'm basically pushing this and changing everything that hurts everybody. are changes.
0: Any other final comments on this that we just went through? All right. Uh, methods in apologetics from a Christian worldview. So. I want us to give a quick overview of different methods that uh, people use to think about ways to defend our faith um, as believers in word and deed. Remember, we talked about the deed component as well last week. Um, So these categories, if you've never heard of them, that's fine. You don't need to remember them. I just want us to see different ways people do go about defending their faith uh, to help us understand um, different arguments as we continue through the semester. Uh, So there's something called the classical position, classical apologetics. Uh, And you could see simply it says, uh, begins by arguing first for theism. Theism simply is the fact that that there is a God, not necessarily uh, identifying who the God is. So it begins with arguing that there is a God, and then shows why Christianity is the most uh, plausible form of theism. Um, so, say you come to an, unbeliever, uh, an unbelieving friend, right, and you want to share the gospel with them. You're talking to them, talking to them about Christ, right? They're skeptical; uh, they don't believe there is a God, um, and so you use arguments. Um, that we'll be talking about throughout this semester, to show that there it's plausible to believe that there is a God. All right, So that's the first step in this approach. And then once they're there, then you want to show them, well, Christianity is the most plausible position. So it's a two-step process. Um, has anyone read Mere Christianity? Right, so this is the approach that C.S. Lewis takes. If you were to read this, he goes through... Um, Defending or showing why it's plausible to believe in a God. And then he shows why Christianity is the most, is the most plausible one. Uh, and so that's the approach he, he takes. Um, so it uses natural revelation. Uh, remember, natural revelation is uh, reason uh, through things that we see in creation, looking at uh, the beauty of the world and recognizing that there must have been a God who created it, and He's a beautiful God because it's a beautiful world. Um, those things. So it uses reason from natural revelation. So that's a major category and an in the, in the approach you could go when doing apologetics. Uh, the second one here is similar, evidentialist apologetics. Uh, is similar to classical apologetics. But here, the main difference is it's not like a two-step process. You don't get them to believe that there is a God and then you get them to believe that the God of the Bible is the true God. Um, You use arguments ultimately to show that there's good historical evidence to believe and it's kind of like a one-step process. So when you're talking with a friend who doesn't know God, right? uh, You, right off the bat, go to the historical evidence and say, there's plenty of historical evidence to show the reliability of Scripture or to show that Christ actually rose from the grave. Talk about the resurrection. And so you don't necessarily uh, try to first go to theism and then to Christianity. You just go straight to Christianity and, and you appeal to the mainly the historical evidence. Um, So that's what the second category is here, uh, the evidentialist apologetics. So you can see it begins by focusing on the historical evidence of the resurrection and our identity of Jesus and our reliability of Scripture. Um, So you could probably start thinking through your mind how you tend to do apologetics, and they might start falling in some of these categories that are recognized. Uh, Third one, presuppositional apologetics. Has anyone ever heard of this one? Presuppositional.
1: I don't know if I've heard of it, but it's kind of how my mind works. Like when I'm reading through this, this is how I would, if I were to be arguing for the existence of God and Christ, I'd be using this methodology kind of naturally, I think. Okay. So,
0: I don't think you can get to a a full understanding of what presuppositional apologetics is by my feeble attempt to write something down on here for this. Um, So presuppositional apologetics simply says that reason, in order to reason with someone, right, to appeal to historical evidence, to appeal to scientific evidence, to appeal to any type of evidence, in order to reason with someone, you need to be on the same starting ground. Sin has affected our minds completely, so an unbeliever is not able to reason properly. So therefore, you can't begin with reason by any means uh, in order to show them the, re- the reliability of Scripture, to show them all of um, that, that Christ actually rose from the, from the grave. Um, Presuppositionalists suggest that reasoning does not take place in a vacuum, as one author says. Uh, Rather, a person's reasoning is colored by their presuppositions or assumptions. Uh, Therefore, because non-Christians deny the true God they know exist, according to uh, Romans chapter 1, they reason with unbelieving and sinful presuppositions. So ultimately, you can't reason with unbelievers, because they have a whole different starting place. So where are you supposed to go when you do apologetics? The presuppositionalist would ultimately just show them why their worldview um, doesn't hold any water, why it doesn't add up. So you can see what I wrote. It begins with an attempt to understand or undermine non-Christian worldviews by showing, I said here with reason, uh, that without the Christian God, they cannot consistently claim meaning, truth, or logic. So they don't begin by showing why the Christian worldview is most plausible. Because first, they need to be enlightened by the Spirit. They need to uh, be renewed uh, with their mind and heart, receive a new heart in order to make any reason of the gospel. Right? So ultimately, their approach is to show that their worldview doesn't add up. So there has to be something more. And then you present the gospel. Um, so it yeah, undermines non-Christian worldviews by showing them with reason that without the Christian God, they cannot consistently claim Ultimately, anything to be true. So, if you think about the questions that we answered earlier, right, is it wrong to steal? Is it important to treat people with dignity and respect? Um, The presuppositionalist would go to questions kind of like that um, and say, You're not being consistent, or ultimately, you're borrowing from my worldview to prove, to make your point of why it's wrong or why we should treat people with respect. Uh, so that would be their approach. It's a little bit more complicated, and it's a newer approach. Uh, has anyone heard of Van Til? Um, this is, he, Van Til is known as the father of presuppositional apologetics. So if you wanted to read more on it, um, I have books up here that you could borrow. Um, this one isn't that thick. Um, you, you feel free to borrow any books uh, if you want to stay more on a specific approach. All right, so that's the third one. And then the fourth one is more similar to presuppositional apologetics than the first two, is experiential apologetics. And simply it begins with inviting others to participate in an experience and to embrace a story that fits better with the realities of life. Um, so it doesn't necessarily really appeal to reason itself. Um, Just simply, this is what God has done for me. Um, I invite you to also join in and you share the gospel right away with them. Uh, And so those are generally the four approaches. Uh, They overlap a lot. So just don't think that you have to pick one. Um, There is a lot of nuance in this and there's a lot of wiggle room. You... Um, could be somewhere between several of these categories and how you do apologetics. But I want us to at least see different methods that ha- have been done. Um, and if you were to ever study a little bit more on this, you uh, know at least the categories in which they go by, or the names they go by. All right, I know this was a lot, and this was more of a lecture than discussion like last week. Uh, not every week is going to be like this, It was definitely very heady tonight, but I think this will be helpful for the weeks to come to just think of categories, uh, to at least have categories to think of things as we discuss them. If there's no other questions, then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we uh, praise you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity we have, Lord, to discuss these things. Lord, I pray that you will sharpen us uh, to be um, able to use your word properly, Lord, that we will um, be faithful to
2: scripture, Lord,
0: and that we will know how to, to use it properly, Lord, that we will be able to have good reasons for the things that we believe, Lord, that we will just have good answers to really tough questions people might have, Lord, that we will know why we worship you, Lord, that we will know why we uh, confess you as Lord and Savior, Lord, and so that we may also then share those answers uh, with others. We pray these things in your name. Amen.